Hello and welcome to this episode of The Pod Presents Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTOcraft and Skillawale, and it was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow. On Stack Overflow, questions have to have a single right answer, and questions can be closed and archived because they're considered primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer, and they are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we take one of those questions, talk about a range of answers and the context that makes them appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO of Skillawale. We do deep coaching for tech teams, which is individually personalized, hands-on sessions with a live expert delivered remotely in one-hour chunks. I've been a CTO for the last 10 years. I've run CTO dinners for three years. I've been a CTO coach. And what I've seen in all of those roles is that the same questions come up again and again, but with different answers every time, because context is critical. Today, we're going to be talking about how technology can influence business decisions. And I am overjoyed to be joined by Sally Late, who was a senior engineering manager at Monzo and is now the VP of engineering at Farewell. Hi, Sally. Hello. How are you doing? I'm really well. How are you? Very good. Hi, everybody as well. My name is indeed Sally Late. I work at Fairworld, which is a company that really aims to tackle the the practical and emotional sides of planning for and dealing with death and to make it simple, affordable, and to give people what we call brighter goodbyes. My role is VP of Engineering. I'm the most senior tech person. I'm on the exec team and I'm responsible for IT, data, and engineering. I've had quite a varied background. I've seen lots of different ways of how tech can influence business decisions. So really excited to chat to you about that today. Awesome. And I think it is one of the most critical questions facing any tech leader, because one of the things that distinguishes leadership, especially at the kind of CTO, head of engineering level, is that influence over the rest of the organization. I think it's it's one of the hallmarks of being the most senior tech person is that that becomes part of your your role. I guess I thought we could start by talking about the difference in size of company, whether you've seen this approach in a different way in smaller companies versus larger companies, because I think your experience includes a real variety of company size. Yeah, totally. And I think there's lots of factors that can actually affect it. So size is one of them. It's not the only one, but it's it's for sure something that does tend to kind of impact on how people actually think about these topics. And I think that you can go kind of two ways. You can very often have very tech-led companies where the technology is the product or the service and the real focus, as you can almost sort of like skew very heavily at the small stage into technology being the driving force behind the business decisions. Or you can kind of go the other way where it's very much kind of, you know, you've got the business plan, it's maybe a bit more sort of traditional, the business comes first, and then the technology is the way to deliver that. So I think that sometimes when you're a smaller company, you may have some sort of plan around that, but it very often kind of firms up and develops a little bit more as you get a bit bigger. But by the time you are a sort of, you know, a larger company, you've got more process, um, more rigor around all of those kind of things. I think it tends to become a little bit more deliberate. And some of the, the factors that we might talk about in a bit definitely come into play in terms of being able to kind of structure how you think about how technology actually influences the business decisions that you have to make as well. Yeah, and I, I think that distinction you drew in that about the pe- the companies where 
tech is maybe not leading the company, but it's sort of what you call a tech forward company versus the more traditional setup where tech and and the business are separate. And this actually is something I've become allergic to over time as we've spoken about this before. I know when people in the technology team refer to the business as a sort of distinct other that they are not part of, that, you know, the business want this and therefore we over here will do this which I think is is wrong, honestly. I think I think that the business includes techs, certainly like all the kind of accounting of a business should include technology. All the people who are thinking about the business should include technology. The flip side of that I've seen before is when, when there is a kind of core of the company that doesn't include technology doing all of the thinking and then they use tech as a preferred internal supplier. I borrowed that phrase from a head of product I worked with. The preferred internal supplier, the the sort of delivery group that so happens to be employees rather than an external agency who will just put into place the things that the business has told them to do. I mean, I'm guessing you've seen that approach before. Have you ever seen that working well? Or do you see your job is to sort of stop that happening wherever you find it? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one because I think it can work well depending on what the outcomes the business is trying to achieve actually are. So if it is a case where actually, you know, so I've worked digital agency side and for a lot of the businesses that may sometimes use agencies, their core business has absolutely nothing to do with technology or business itself. So in that sense, kind of, you know, outsourcing or having a a team that are a little bit separate maybe impacts slightly differently if it doesn't need to be integrated with kind of the core of the business itself. So if it is just kind of a way to get something done, then that's very different to where technology is kind of very integrated and very, you know, much part of the the beating heart of the business and and working towards the business goals. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm always a little bit cautious of tech for tech's sake and injecting myself into places that I don't need to be or where there's a simpler solution to get something done. So I wouldn't say it's always my, my kind of job to, to, you know, do that kind of stuff. But I do agree. Your point where you mentioned as well about the business as kind of another entity, I think that definitely works both ways as well, because you've got in those sort of relationships and in those organizations where technology can play a really critical part and you've maybe got that forming I think it's, it is very important to watch out for that and to try to catch it. As you say, you know, you're allergic to try and catch the language to, to do things like not being a black box. Um, so letting mm. others in, you know, really promoting and communicating what the tech side of the business is doing, doing things, you know, even like knowledge sharing or education, but also thinking about the org structure and the, and the way that you can integrate and you can sort of bridge that physically as well as, you know, with the other kind of like process-led stuff as well. I think that's right. And I think it's really hard as well. That um, particularly that not being a black box, one of the things that is very hard about technology is it's so deep, right? As technologists, you're used to dealing with layers of abstraction upon abstraction. Like you've got your plan for the quarter and you've got your um, kind of setup of how whatever your product is runs on whatever infrastructure. But then that is also running on some other layer of abstraction. You've got your code written in a framework, which is using a language, which, you know, ultimately one of the things that's enjoyable about technology is like seeing all of those different layers working together and, you know, knowing that at some level it's all like one and zeros in in silicon 
and, and that then becomes this kind of, I don't know, incredible thing that sort of works kind of surprisingly when it's all just essentially refined sand at the end of the day. And one of the hard things then is being a technologist and caring and liking about technology and then not sharing that kind of joy of the like layers of what's going on, taking the, the bad thing that happened and explaining it to other leaders as there was a bug, it was hard to solve we're working on it and holding back on the detail of it was super interesting because we'd never hit this edge case before, but because it was the, you know, 17th of January in this particular year and the moon was in the, the third phase, we suddenly hit this bug and it isn't that fascinating. Holding back on that detail, I think, is hard and is a hard skill to learn if you're passionate about tech. I think it is a really hard skill to learn, but for me, it's actually about rather than necessarily holding everything back and feeling like you've got to temper some of it, it's about developing some skills around the narrative and the storytelling angle. Because, so take Monzo, for example, one of the things that really did help the business and um, was a real sort of competitive advantage was some of the things, say, after an incident, after you know, a, a bad thing happening, whatever that might have been, whether it's technology-led or um, you know, some other mistake, actually writing blog posts about that, which sometimes got very much into the nitty-gritty. It spoke to a certain audience, sure, and it would help with, say, recruitment for engineers and really drive that side of you know, engagement with the community. But I think it also provides the transparency to some extent as well and can give people confidence that actually you have a really talented team who are working on these things and you can give people context around why they weren't able to access their banking app, um, which is very different to just feeling like something is broken and maybe people start to feel like a company is slightly incompetent. So I think it can actually be quite a powerful tool if you know how to harness it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think probably even as a non-technical reader of those blog posts, there would be value in knowing that the, the the black box had been opened and you could look inside, even if you didn't didn't necessarily understand what was inside. There's there's something to appreciate about the openness and the transparency of that that then means that it's there's something more approachable, I think, about understanding. There's something more approachable about an organization that does that. Being transparent like that is such a, a sort of virtuous thing to do in and of itself, even if what you're telling people can't be, isn't necessarily understood by them immediately. Yeah, for sure. I think so. Do you think there are ways for people to to practice that skill of explaining without getting too technical? I personally feel that these are skills that people can practice every different level of your career. So it's always really fantastic to look out for these opportunities if these are skills that you want to practice actively. And even if you're a early career developer and you know you find a you know, quite a small little bug or something that is maybe gone unnoticed and is just a sort of you know a gardening task that you could make some improvements around just putting some context out there for the rest of the team maybe you know finding an opportunity if the organization's got internal talks or you know brown bag sessions or things like that and really thinking yourself about why was this interesting why would other people care about it? And what, what was the outcome of it as well? You can also, I think, you know, you can really inspire those around you if you want to take on more of those kind of maintenance, the tidying up bits that are sometimes less glamorous. It could be 
really great to point out why these were interesting so that people have an awareness of the, you know, the other type of less shiny work, which is also really, really important. And I think, you know, regardless of what you're actually working on, just finding, finding those opportunities can be, you know, absolutely just really, really key to building that sense of culture as well and getting other people doing the same. Uh, and once you normalize it in lots of different contexts, that's when it can really permeate through so that people can start feeling like they can ask more questions, start feeling like they can maybe be a bit more vulnerable with asking to understand something they didn't before because you've really kind of normalized that sharing and and people being able to to get into into that black box, as we say. Yeah, I actually did something like this in a previous company where we had a regular sort of sharing session where someone from some part of the company would just talk about a part of their work to to try and break down those barriers. And I really remember one time when one of our developers basically live fixed a bug that had been reported. And so he was able to show the rest of the company, you know, this is the report that we've got in. And I'm thinking, well, I, I want to make sure I can recreate this first and reproduce the bug before I do anything. And, you know, showed trying to do that, explained about the sort of dev environment he was working in, showed the bug happening. Uh, I, I can't remember if we were doing TDD there, but uh, probably at some point wrote a test, fixed the bug, and then, you know, committed his fix, created a pull request for it. I think it was fascinating for, for people who hadn't seen that process before, um, which for him, I think it was quite an everyday, normal way of being. But it also had this, this side effect, which I hadn't really anticipated, that the next set of bug reports we got were more thorough and more detailed. You know, we, we got a much more clear, this happened in this situation, because no longer were people jumping through a hoop that we had set up where they had to help us to be able to re reproduce the bug. They could see that it, it actually mattered. It was part of the fix. It wasn't just, I don't know, busy work that we were asking of them to create barriers. It was necessary for, for us to be able to, to do the work of fixing the bug. So yeah, that was definitely a time where opening up that black box, I don't know if it, I can claim it influenced the strategy of the company, but it certainly influenced the rest of the, the company to change how they behaved in a way that was probably better for everyone. Yeah, well, I think sometimes the little things can add up. So in terms of the different ways where tech has that potential to, to influence the company strategy, there are the big, big pieces where it's, you know, that very direct correlation. You might be able to influence the, you know, the customer interactions or the experience that somebody has through technology, putting new technology or changing the technology to enable that. And you might have, again, products or services or innovations that are based on technology. So there's that very kind of like clear cut relationship, I suppose, between them. But then you've also got things like you can influence business decisions around the operational side, around, you know, how staff work or what skills people have, um, the costs, you know, all of that sort of side of things too. But then I think there's a, there's a real cultural shift as well that can come for good and for bad with technology. And so some of your business decisions can end up being really directly related, I think, to how you approach the tech side. And so, you know, with your example, I think the little things there often build up and they can lead towards some cultural shifts, I suppose. The one I always think about is stuff like if you've got really great observability or monitoring, for instance, then that can 
potentially change the company's perspective on risk or, you know, change management and how confident you actually feel. Similarly, you know, having CICD in place, being able to ship really fast will fundamentally change a lot of the business strategy. And that all builds up on the back of the little things sometimes. So don't don't sort of like downplay the role that it can play, I'd say, in that respect. I think you're right that as a general rule, being more open and making parts of the company appreciate each other's work more, it can only be a good thing. Like if it might be a number of small things that enables it, but having more crosstalk, you know, we were talking before about having the tech team as someone who work was thrown to and did the work that other people were prescribing. I think the danger there is that you potentially get very different incentives or that you you basically end up with a team that is very kind of disinterested in the work they're doing because they aren't represented in the decision-making process in the why behind the work. They're seen as kind of implementers rather than creative and part of the the decision-making process, right? They don't have that seat at the table, if you like. I was reading a McKinsey article, actually, on the idea of becoming tech forward. They were saying that for executives in the wake of COVID-19, there's one very clear trend, which is that every company needs to become a tech company. I think they don't mean kind of tech first company, but with tech seen as a kind of partner in everything rather than a a supplier. I think that when we're thinking about that divide again, there are definitely some some cautionaries and some negative outcomes that you can get from it being unbridgeable. I think one of them is we talked about kind of the importance of promoting tech outwardly and, you know, people really being bought into that side of things. But also you mentioned there some of the challenges that can come when the technology side is just seen as kind of that delivery partner. And I think that if tech leaders in particular and then subsequently, you know, their organizations can really understand the business and understand the goals, the priorities, some of the, you know, some of the limitations or challenges, then basically they can see how they can actually help make that happen. And they can really avoid hindering it or being misaligned. And then subsequently, I think the people who are, you know, actually doing the work, making things happen it makes it easier for for those people to operate more effectively if they're kind of, you know, fitting into the overall big picture and they understand the context around it. If there's misalignment between what the sort of tech org is saying and what the rest of the business is trying to to say or do, then it can be really frustrating for people, you know, if you're trying to do your own thing, but it's it's not working well towards the big picture. And I think that, you know, for tech leaders as well, you can very often lose that credibility if people are frustrated because you're kind of a, a little bit stuck in the middle. So I think that's definitely one thing to avoid, you know, if you if you do kind of have a bit of a, a disconnect. I know this is something that we we sort of play devil's advocate with a little bit, where you can think, I think, sometimes too much in terms of the tech though, and overemphasize it. And I think that's more likely to happen when you do keep them a little bit separate. So I think that sometimes there's that vision of the rock star developers and you know all the old cliches that we hopefully try to avoid nowadays. But that kind of thing can permeate a little bit more, I think, when you are seen as sort of other. And so again, you know, breaking down those barriers hopefully can avoid technology being seen as kind of better than others and lead to a load of problems from the fallouts respect. 
Definitely. Yeah. I think tech on a pedestal is probably similar as a failure mode to tech as a, as a supplier. Yeah, for sure. And I suppose I'm talking very broad terms about tech and non-tech companies and tech-led. But I know in your, in your work doing digital transformation, you've seen some highly technical companies, which we wouldn't really recognize as digital companies, at least not when you started working with them. And so, I mean, could you tell us a bit about that when you see those very technical companies, but they're not sort of using technology to run the company? Is that, I don't know, even if that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, I've got some really, really great stories that I can probably tell. Um, my favorite one is probably around the company. It was a Formula One company called Manor Racing that I worked with quite a few years ago now. And they're sadly no longer in existence, uh, which you might know if you're a Formula One person. But that was absolutely fascinating. And they were just such a brilliant team because, as you can imagine from an F1 team, they are highly, highly technical and everything is so precise, so incredibly highly detailed and, and planned. But it's a very different domain to what we in the kind of digital world think of as sort of technology and our day-to-day our -day, uh, experiences. And what was really fascinating to me was coming into an environment where there were these super smart people who were very, very good at what they did and very open to technology as a concept, but where there wasn't always this joined up thinking in the more digital technology space. So I worked on a project and led that where I was looking at their operations process, which had things like the suppliers for procurement and managing the, the parts for the cars down to the ordering, but also the physical storage in, in the, the warehouse and things like that. And that was really to look for the gaps in the process and where tech could play a greater role in terms of efficiencies and other kind of opportunities that might come out of it. That kind of project is always so interesting because you've almost got a bit of a head start in terms of people being open to technology and knowing the difference it can make in terms of translating that onto the racetrack where it can really come down to the milliseconds and can be the difference between success and failure. But also having no awareness of the capabilities and the possibilities that can come from it. So that was really, really such an interesting project to again try to kind of convey some of the opportunities and the impact and what it would actually mean around you know, say some of the really core decisions of things like build versus buy, there are very different implications for a company if you go down different paths. And, you know, there's, there's a whole load of other kind of uh, things like that where you just have to basically kind of, you know, go through the options and work out based on the situation, which is the most appropriate. There's no one, one size fits all, sadly. That's super interesting because you, you, as well as the sort of black box in understanding how technology works, it's also the, the potential. It's not just the how it works, it's the what it can enable and the things that you can do with it. <laughs> this is reminding me on a much smaller scale than Manor Racing F1 team of a conversation I was having with someone, I'm going to leave them nameless the other day, who was watching me edit a spreadsheet and I had a like column with the date in and like highlighted a date, put in the, held in the, did a drag click in the lower right corner and then, you know, filled the column and, you know, magically they all had like subsequent dates. And this person was like, well, I wasted half an hour doing copying and paste on Monday. Because, you know, if you, ha if you don't spend your time in spreadsheets, you don't know that that's a common enough operation that this, this idea of drag and fill is kind of built in. 
And that's a tiny and maybe very obvious and easy to see example of a broader principle that it, even if you're very technical in one way, if you're not in the terms of software and thinking in terms of soft software technology, then you might just not see that these things can be improved. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many really important examples of that as well. Going right back to, I mean, this this feels like forever ago now, but I was unfortunately around uh, that long ago too, of the early days of responsive web design when we were really seeing a big paradigm shift in terms of how we actually interacted with content on the web and use devices and things like that and all the capabilities that brought us. And, you know, you might have had people at the time looking at your web analytics and saying, well, nobody's buying things on a mobile phone and all of those, you know, nobody would ever buy a holiday on a mobile phone. It's much too big a purchase. And a lot of that was based around the fact that the websites and the experiences hadn't been optimized. You know, nothing was very easy to do at that point. So of course people wouldn't do it. Not that there wasn't necessarily an opportunity there. And similarly, we still have to fight some of those battles nowadays, I think, um, around conversations with things like accessibility of these sort of situational things aren't occurring or these types of people aren't using this product or service. So therefore, it's not important we should discount it. Whereas actually, again, maybe your product or service being inaccessible is actually driving that. And there's a huge opportunity there, both for the business, but also for the people to have a better experience too. So I think that it's, it's very much whether it's kind of, you know, somebody learning a new skill and being able to see what's possible or actually, again, being able to kind of bring that expertise into play about the importance of the outcomes that you can actually achieve. It's really important for people to kind of, to keep learning and to bring that domain knowledge into a, into a business context and be able to tell those stories around it. Yeah, that sort of gets onto one of the other crucial sides for technology influencing business is the management of risk because you know we've talked about some of the positives that can come when technologists get involved and see space for optimization i can think of times when i have i've not done a good enough job of advocating for a certain aspect of technology one in particular was where we had accidentally left a publicly accessible database without any authentication in front of it at all. And someone somewhere had written a script that was just hitting every IP address on the right port with a delete everything in the database uh, script. And luckily we had backups and luckily we had enough monitoring to be sure that data hadn't been extracted, but it was still a real potential it could have been really bad. There, there was a lot of data there that would have mattered to the individuals involved that got out. And that that is something I remember a lot as a kind of as a very bad example of me not advocating enough for for technology in kind of prioritization. Because I think I think I understood that risk better than the rest of the, the leadership team in that company. And I think at, at the kind of extreme end, you know, I was thinking before this about technology influencing other decisions and the limitations of it and really at the extreme end you have things like you know genuine disasters like the the challenger space shuttle disaster famously was there, there were groups of engineers involved in that talking about the the problems of rubber seals acting at a certain temperature but there was enough pressure that from kind of political interest that those people were overlooked similarly with chernobyl the the power plant 
you know, there was there were like known problems with the sort of the way the emergency shutdown in the power plant was built, but they were suppressed again for kind of political reasons to to save face, which uh, in both of those cases culminates in disaster. And for most of us in technology jobs, uh, in software technology jobs, we don't have to worry about negative outcomes that extreme. But I suspect for some of us, we do. I suspect for some of us, there are still really significant negative outcomes that we have to be influencing for in in the overall business strategy. Definitely. Absolutely. I'm just sort of caught up in that vision now of, of those levels of extremes. But I think having worked in regulated businesses, it can have really severe consequences. So I think, you know, what we're talking about here is a fantastic skill for tech leaders to be able to develop. And um, one of the things that I was encouraging people to do at Farewell was basically to think a little bit in terms of not just revenue generation or not just cost savings, because I think it's very easy to get into making decisions and making kind of a case for something over something else based on purely that, which could be appropriate. If the business priority is around money, then that, you know, absolutely might be your top priority. But there are so many other factors that can come into play when you're actually thinking about what to focus on. And as you say, you know, security and the knock-on implications can be a huge one when you're actually, you know, when you're working in a particularly sort of, you know, a regulated environment or other kind of high security, high risk situations, then being able to advocate for that type of work is is so, so important and is part of the reason why I've twice now set up platform teams. So working in environments where product teams are common and people really understand being able to define a feature and push for that feature and build sort of, you know, org structure around it mm-hmm. is quite common. But actually thinking in terms of platform and thinking in terms of enablement and setting up those product and feature teams really well for success and some of the other, you know, the capabilities around developer experience or being able to bring in specialists to focus on things like security and, you know, other other stuff like that can be really, really powerful. So knowing the different ways that you can actually benefit an organization and being able to think about right way to kind of manifest some of those at the right time is such an important skill i think and i like that example because it sounds like you took a structural approach which would protect the people who were working on security and those kinds of concerns from the needs for specific features so by dividing out a platform team you created a group of people who could focus on those things without being kind of first in line to be responsible for shipping the features that would have more immediate value, right? It sounds like you were sort of separating out those two concerns, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time, um, in this instance, most recently at Farewell, that work had started, seeds were planted. So it was kind of formalizing a lot of the stuff that was already kind of going in that direction. And we'd been kind of working towards that as part of the, the overall growth plan. But we knew that there were things down the line. So actually, in terms of your kind of tech strategy and your roadmap, if you can think a little bit ahead about when system choices might need to be reviewed, when certain elements of your stack might sort of degrade as such, or when you might need to look at coming opportunities and things like that, you can more proactively plan for it. And it was this kind of instance where we knew that we needed to basically think about some of this around re-platforming, um, re-architecting certain 
bits of the the older part of the systems um, and doing a, a big data migration, which would unlock a whole load more. And the role that the sort of the platform team could play in that, um, but tying into other bits like you know having people clearly responsible for stuff like penetration testing, thinking about consistency of some of the third-party solutions and being able to kind of make those available to the product teams. There's a lot of kind of cross-cutting concerns that we knew needed a really strong home and needed people to look after it. So it made quite a lot of sense in that in that perspective. But yeah, I think tying it into that long-term roadmap can be really, really important just to make sure that it's, that it's again, kind of pulling in the same direction as the business overall. Yeah. We've talked about a few different ways for making that influence happen, like t- tying the work into a roadmap and like opening the black box and letting people understand what's inside. Do you think there are general purpose good ways to for technologists to have that influence? Or if it's more contextual than that, how do you work out when a way of influencing is good or bad? Somebody that I always think of when it comes to kind of influencing others is Laura Hogan. So I'd encourage everybody to go and have a look at her work on sort of how to influence really positively. And I think there's a lot that I learned from her around really understanding people's motivations, really understanding what they care about, and then trying to speak to them in terms of that, in terms of the language that they will understand, the outcomes that they actually want to drive towards. So I think there's there's lots of stuff around that, kind of, you know, working out who you need to get on your side and how to do it. But I'd say some of the other things that people can do are really sort of arming themselves with the knowledge that can help them. So understanding the business goals, understanding you know, the metrics, the markets that the business is operating in, being able to kind of really see where technology can play a part in it. I'd say, you know, developing, we talked about developing storytelling skills and things like that, being able to sort of have those opportunities to weave that story around technology and, and pitch it at the right level. I think building trust as well is so important. So whether that's kind of delivering the business as usual work and showing that you've got that track record of actually being able to to make something happen in different ways can help you build up the trust for if you're proposing something a little bit riskier or a little bit more drastic or that maybe needs a bit more investment. But also breaking it down. So one of the things um, going back to the Manor Racing project that I looked at was we actually created some little prototypes. And that really helps people get their head around something in a practical sense. So if you can break a problem down or, or break the change down into something that lets people experience it or that some kind of, you know, play with something directly or try it out, then that can sometimes help them kind of, you know, really understand and, and get on board with it as well. So I think there's a lot of like really practical things, but then there's often um, a bit softer stuff that's a, a little bit more slow burn. So really, um, you know, we talked about the importance of language and breaking down that barrier between tech and the business. And there's a lot of things where if you are very deliberate about the culture that you want to create, then setting up that from the ground up and really sort of building on that over time, I think can be a very underlooked factor in in all of this. Um, So making sure that's also part of your plan as well as just the doing stuff. Yes, right. Because no one wants to be kind of influenced in the short term, right? People, 
it, it can feel a bit like being used if 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 the only conversations you have with someone are when you want something. Um, and so definitely agree that you you need that kind of culture, you need that interpersonal trust in those relationships so that then when you do want to influence decisions and you do want to make yourself heard, you're doing it from a, a place of trust and a much sort of stronger position. And then, yeah, I think, I think tell me if this, this sounds like a good summary or a bad summary, quite a lot of it comes down to meeting people where they already are looking at what they want and what they care about and what they're worried about and seeing how that fits with what you want to happen and helping sort of show the benefits of that thing, assuming they they do exist. I think mirroring the language of that person as well. So that when you're trying to influence the, the person in charge of sales, you're talking about the effect of your plan on revenue. And when you're trying to influence the person in charge of customer success, you're talking about the benefits of your plan on user happiness, for example. I think that's a very good summary. People care about what it means for them. If you come with change, people can be very fearful. They can react quite extremely sometimes. Am I going to lose my job? Are the robots going to come in and you know make me redundant? And that's that's human, right? So I think people really want to understand. They want, as you said, to be met where they are. They want um, somebody to really hear them and understand the practicalities of what their job is like, what their life is like. And then they want to understand where it's going. And I think that ties really nicely into when you're making a tech strategy can be aspirational and it can be very much tied into the future and the vision and you know everything you want to get to. But it's also going to take some work to get there. And if you only ever focus on you know the shiny future and not the practical steps to get there, people don't understand how to make that leap. And I think it's similar when you're when you're talking to people that technology is going to affect they're going to want to understand the nitty gritty as well. It's not just all about the shiny new future that's calling. It's it's very much what does this mean and and how are we going to get there in the meantime? So yeah, I definitely think meeting them where they're at is, is such an important part of that. Mm. And then helping them see where they could be and showing them the path to get there, even if it is kind of hard work and nitty gritty. Yeah, there's always, there's always hard work involved, sadly. <laughs> Usually <Yeah>. no quick fixes. <laughs> The inescapable truth. Someone else has already plucked most of the low-hanging fruit. True. And I guess the path towards that future is particularly difficult at the moment as we're going through a kind of economic downturn. Do you think there are specific ways that tech should be influencing business decisions in that kind of climate? I think that we've talked before about technology can bring lots of opportunities. So making sure that technology is being considered in terms of if you can make things easier to do for people in terms of, you know, if there are business revenue generation opportunities and, and things like that, that you haven't looked at, although probably they have been looked at. But I think one of the watch outs is very much to make sure that there can be potential friction between different parts of the business at times like this, where very often there are lots of, say, projects which are more investment led Maybe you've got a load of debt that people want to pay down or there are sort of things that have been put off and put off for a long time and people are getting really frustrated by that. It can be really hard when you are moving into a downturn and where the business is kind of you know, very revenue focused or really needing to survive to be able to say to people, no, we can't do this project. We can't do it. Maybe next quarter, maybe next quarter. So you can get a lot of frustration from that. And I think 
some things that can help are being very honest. If if you're kicking it down the road for a quarter, that's very different to, no, we're not going to be able to do this for the foreseeable future. And having that, you know, the, the courage to actually be honest with people and talk about maybe other mitigating factors or things that you can do that maybe aren't are on a slightly different scale. But also just making sure that, again, you're coming back to the reasons for this work being important. So as a technologist, I think being able to, again, have that conversation around other impacts. So is the security aspect going to end up costing the company potentially X amount more than it could be getting from, you know, this other revenue project? Are the, you know, are the reputational issues going to be um, huge and then lead to revenue issues down the line. What sort of timescale are we thinking of? So I think when we, when we think about the downturn and when we think about immediate pressures, it's very easy to just focus on the here and now, but being able to kind of think in terms of those different timescales and the different factors again can be super important. So I'd encourage people to, to think about that stuff too. Sally, thank you so much for your advice. I've really enjoyed talking to you today and I, I think this will have been really useful for our listeners. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Join us again next time when I'll be talking about strategy and tactics with Lena Reinhardt.